Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. A lot of the deepest beliefs that people have are very, very much tied up in the story of it. And the story is what makes it so, you know, believable to those who believe in it and, and so powerful and compelling. People relate to it. And I think that's the issue, is that getting people to relate to it and picking an example that people can relate to. Because you could say customers don't tell you the truth all the time. My mum used to say to me, even when I was like 25, she would say to me, I've never told you that Father Christmas doesn't exist. And she was very proud of that. <laughs> ding dong, ding, them bells are playing loud and clear. Dong, ding dong, they're saying it's that time of year. So, Colin, Christmas is coming up. Yes, looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, so um, my family and I celebrate Christmas, and, and one of the best parts of the Christmas season for us is we have these various traditions around certain movies that we watch every year or certain stories that we tell. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, we always watch Elf, the Will Ferrell movie. All right, my yeah, kids yeah. And I, yeah. It's a great one. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, we always watched uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That was the big traditional cartoon that we watched. All right. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a physics teacher in high school who would show us that movie on the last day of school before winter break and then turn it into a series of physics problems. So <laughs> the Grinch's sled weighs 100 kilograms and it's going down the slope of 48 degrees. It was great. Yeah, we do the same. We listen to, uh, I always watch um, A Christmas Carol uh, every uh, every Christmas, and I force my family to do it, <laughs> which is the best bet. And they've grown to hate A Christmas Carol. Forcing your family to do things they don't like, that's really the season, right? I mean, that's the meaning of the holiday. It is. I, I mean, it, it is. Unless you can make people unhappy, what's, what's the point of life? Yeah. No, but they, these stories are a huge part of the tradition. Like, we, we went to, to see a, a Christmas Carol, a play version of it, a radio play version of it last year, because it is, it's such an important part of that season for so many families. So we're going to talk today about storytelling more generally. But I think if you think across holidays and celebrations and family gatherings, so many of them are tied to storytelling. So it may be scary stories around Halloween or around anniversaries. You're telling stories of times that you've had as a family or events that have happened in the past. So we wanted to talk about storytelling and, and what an integral part of experiences those can be for people. Yeah, and I think the the issue for me, just to ensure the listener doesn't think we're just going to rattle on about films and things that we've seen. Is... I've made no promises, Colin, but if you want to <laughs> you stop yourself from doing that, that's fine. <laughs> storytelling as a form of persuasion, as a form of communication, it is a key part of business. 
I've certainly learned that over many years. Being able to draw analogies, to be able to tell a story as part of the way that you're getting over your message in whatever setting, I've, I have found to be exceptionally beneficial. Shall we start by talking a bit about the theory of why storytelling is so important and then let's talk about a bit about practical applications of it? Yeah, that'd be great. The theoretical work on storytelling can probably be summarized in general terms as human beings seem to be hardwired for stories. We remember stories better than we do if the same information is conveyed in a non-story format. Um, We tend to be more persuaded by stories. Uh, We tend to be more likely to relay stories to other people than, again, if the same information was communicated not in a story. We tend to be more entertained by stories, right? We just, we seek out stories. We are storytelling machines. So, you know, you're right. If we want to persuade people, if we want people to pay attention to our messaging, if we want people to enjoy their experiences, it is absolutely vital that we consider how stories play a part in that. In fact, I was thinking of a couple of things as you were talking there. Even the word history, history is based around, it's obviously his story. Now, you could argue it should be her story or whatever um, gender you want to get into. Their story, our story. Yeah. The fact is that story's in there, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's key. I, I think the other thing is that you can see it particularly, I always... I love watching uh, TV and you look at sort of the politicians and you look at the way that they're communicating. And the one that I was thinking of as you were talking there was, do you remember a couple of years, a couple of presidential elections ago, they were talking about Joe the plumber? Sure. I can't even remember which party it was. Um, but Republican. It's oh, was it? Right. Yeah, you know, and all politicians do it, don't they? You know, I was out the other day and I met Joe the plumber or I met, Bert Scroggins or and you know they said this why are they doing that they're they're saying that because they want to make it practical aren't they oh absolutely yeah I mean politics is an interesting domain because there's so many complex policies and you know we're going to raise this by two percent and drop that by three percent and spend a trillion dollars on that and all these things are so abstract and can be so difficult for people to understand but if you can wrap it in a story and explain how it would change the lives of some individuals, what good it would do for this person or what harm it would do for that person, it becomes very concrete and very persuasive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think the same applies for me in business. So the way that, and again, it, this is not revolutionary, okay? You know, lots of people have talked about this and the way that I've done it and it's been extremely useful, is just to use practical examples. Mm -hmm. So the listener would will have heard me use them. I've told the story of, mini story of Disney, talk about the fact that when they ask their customers what they want to go to a theme park, Disney say they'd like have an option of a salad. And Disney also know that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks. I've said that story, although it only lasts a few sentences many, many times, but it really gets over a powerful message. And the key thing for me is that 
people relate to it. And I think that's the issue, is that getting people to relate to it and picking an example that people can relate to. Because you could say customers don't tell you the truth all the time. You could say that... And here's a statistic that bears that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the thing I've found is that when I'm doing conference speeches and I'm telling these stories, you can see all the heads nodding and you can then hear the laughter and everyone going, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that, I've done that, you know. When you get that type of reaction, you've hit a nerve that people can relate to. I I think that's absolutely correct. And we use lots of examples on the podcast. You know, you've brought these things up before. Case studies are another thing. I mean, I guess that's kind of just an extended example. Yeah. Um, But these are all stories, right? They're they're ways of embedding a persuasive message within a story context. And that just makes it more persuasive, more understandable, more memorable. And I, I think at the top level, my son works in advertising. And at the top level, they use the word a lot, what's the narrative? Yep. And basically, it's what's the story? Yeah. And if you think of adverts, they're telling a story, aren't they? Yeah. You know, all the, the imagery, the, the words and everything else that's being used there is, is again, an articulation of the story and ties back into going, yeah, there's somebody that looks like me that seems to have the same, same shared brand values. Or the um, shame. Or the um, shame. Yeah, either of those. <laughs> yeah, or the shame. Yeah, you can imagine that. Let's see if we can shame our customers. That would be a uh, good I mean, idea. It's, it's been done. <laughs> it's not usually a good idea, but... No. I think the other thing that I would say, and again, I was thinking about it, obviously doing my thought process prior to coming on to the, to the show today, and I was actually thinking about religion because I, I've been fortunate enough to visit many countries in my life. When I've gone to these different countries, I've gone into various churches, temples, different places, and, and you just go... I don't know how many major religions there are in the world, you know, maybe, I don't know, five or six or something. Perhaps I should have looked that set up before. But you then just go, well, someone's made this story up, and I don't know which of those stories is correct. So it feels like someone's got it right, maybe, or if you're agnostic, maybe they haven't. But a lot of people believe in religion, no matter which religion it may be. There's a story behind all of those religions. The interesting part, I guess we shouldn't get sidetracked, is the commonality actually between some of those stories and you know what you should do and what you shouldn't do and um, those types of values. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is people believe in those stories and really believe they talk about them having faith. And again, that's wherever religion that you that you may believe in. But you believe in that story, don't you? Religions are, when people study religions, they study uh, a lot of times that kind of the, the myths around them, the myth making around them. And, and when that term's used in, in science, it's not meant in a disrespectful way around the, the truth of it, but instead emphasizing the storytelling of it. I mean, because you're right, a, a lot of the, 
deepest beliefs that people have are very, very much tied up in the story of it. And the story is what makes it so, you know, believable to those who believe in it and, and so powerful and compelling. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, th this is very, very deeply rooted. Yeah. And when you think about that, the next area for me, and I'm trying not to be contentious on the show, but again, if you think of politics. Well, I mean, you hit religion and politics. I don't know how you could possibly go <laughs> wrong on that, Colin. <laughs> I hope people recognize you. you are trying to discuss it in a very respectful way. I'm trying to draw this line and I'm trying yes. to walk along this line. But if you think about politics, again, whatever your political views are, if you looked at those extremes of those politics, again, whichever party you want to you support, what surprises me again is, is when you come up with some facts and you can disprove what somebody is saying, yeah, how much they still believe that you're wrong because they believe in the story yeah. that they've been told or that they believe is correct. And it's like, well, yeah, facts don't come into it. This is the story that I believe in. And this is the brand and that top level piece that I believe in, which are all part of the values that I hold. And therefore, facts are an irrelevance. I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's a good point. I mean, to a certain extent, our realities are the stories that we tell ourselves. And stories are inherently going to be a simplification. And so we need to figure out ways of kind of dealing with with when reality conflicts with the simplified story that we've told ourselves. And yeah, a lot of times we favor the story over the facts. And I guess tying into that must be around some social proofing as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. If you are, you're seeing and hearing lots of other people telling you the same story and you think and associate yourself with them. And again, it could be around religion. It could be around politics. It could be just around a brand. We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow. And now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It'll be really good to get more listeners and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please just tell a friend. We haven't actually talked about this for a little while, but let's talk about Apple. Mm. Yeah. Were you, were you starting to break out in hives? Because you hadn't <laughs> spoken about Apple in a little while. I have a religion. It's called starting Apple. Starting to get so the, the four or five major religions, Christianity, Islam, <laughs> Judaism, and Apple, is that, uh, is that yes, where you're coming that's down? Right. Okay. Yeah. The, um, but no, uh, the, the point I was trying to make is it, it was reminding me of when I go into an Apple store, and I've been doing it recently. I've, we could spend the rest of the show talking about the new Apple products that I've bought if you really wanted to, if you forced my hand. I'm not sure what story you're telling yourself about <laughs> my demand for your Apple stories. The point I'm trying to make is, again, it's buying into that overall story, isn't it? So trying to get off politics and religion and moving it more to business. It's that 
I'm part of that Apple story. I feel I associate myself with that. I associate myself with the privacy themes that they have. I associate myself with the the coolness of the brand. Uh, I associate myself with the sort of the technology, and that's all the story that's underpinned that. And actually thinking about it, I associate myself with Steve Jobs and the story of Steve yep. Jobs. You know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, so there's, you know, there's been research on the fact that so many tech companies have these origin myths around starting in a garage. Yeah. So many of them. Uh, Hewlett Packard, Apple, like they all started in somebody's garage. Bill Gates did it. I don't think he yep, stood in Microsoft. Yeah. Good brands have a story. And a lot of that includes a foundation myth, just like any superhero would. And we that story resonates with us, this underdog story of, you know, starting from nowhere and yeah. not having any resources. These stories are always oversimplifications when it comes to brands. But uh, the reason they keep getting told is because they're important to people. And and we do, we absolutely resonate with the story of the founders. You know, there are some people who just love the story of Elon Musk or of Bill Gates or of, and there are other people who loathe those stories and that sure. becomes compelling in the opposite direction. But the, the, the idea that the story is important is absolutely critical. And as you started the show off today, a story that's a really interesting one for me is, is the Christmas story mm -hmm. and Father Christmas. Yeah, Because it's interesting in the sense of going, well, A, that's a story that lots of people like, yeah? My mum used to say to me, even when I was like 25, she would say to me, I've never told you that Father Christmas doesn't exist. And she was very proud of that, you know? <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that we tell our kids a lie, actually. Uh, spoiler alert. Wow. <laughs> well... In my view, should I say. For all of the six-year-old listeners of our podcast, we've got some news for you. Breaking news. <laughs> yes. Wow, Colin. Um, well, I mean, and even farther than that, it's interesting that there's not one Christmas story or even one Father Christmas story. I mean, the, the Christmas story itself, kind of the, the Christian tradition of, of the birth of Jesus, like that's, that's a little yes. bit more uniform. Yes. But like these cultural... Santa Claus stories and, that follow yes. uh, follow up around Father Christmas or Santa Claus or you know whatever he might be named in these various cultures like those are just so diverse and beautiful and interesting and and so important to the people who grew up with them and not just that it's the 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 actions around that actually so if you think there's you know that core story Father Christmas living in the North Pole making all the toys distributing on the night for the kids and all the rest of it but how in many countries the present giving and the celebration would be the day before Christmas. Mm -hmm. in the, certainly in the UK, it's you give out presents on the day, Christmas Day, basically. I don't know about you, maybe we should check this stuff. We would leave mince pies and beer for Father Christmas as he came down the chimney. I did not know that's what they did. In the US, it's much more wholesome. It's um, cookies and milk. And then um, carrots for the uh, uh, the reindeer. Yes, yes. Well, I have to say, I substituted the milk with beer because yeah. I used to drink the beer before I went to bed. That's right. I, I shouldn't say this. My kids are listening to this. You have to. 
your kids in their 30s now. Um, but I've never, I've to never them. told them that Father Christmas doesn't exist. Yeah. I just realised that what a mis- what a parenthood mistake I've made by by so telling everybody now. This podcast was supposed to be about storytelling. It's now more about traumatising your children. <laughs> the interesting piece is it goes to, and again from that business piece, it goes to the word immersion, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you're involved in the story. So one of the things of Christmas is is that whole bit leading up to it, isn't it? The anticipation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I used to be in a thing called Round Table, which is a bit like Rotary Club uh, that's mm-hmm. around around the world. And Round Table is, uh, was an offshoot of that. And we used to do a what was a Christmas float, mm-hmm. okay? So this was taking the origins of it. Hey, guess what? I'm telling a story. The origins of it are it was taking Father Christmas around to deprived areas in the place I live in, Dunstable in England. And they did this across the, the country, round, different round tables. The interesting thing was that you used to go around and take Father Christmas round and then you'd go around and distribute some uh, sweets at the same time and then that sort of morphed into uh, in the more affluent areas people giving you money and um, which obviously went on to charity and all the rest of it but the point I'm trying to make is by the 20th night of doing this Christmas float you got sick and tired of jingle bells yeah so I always feel really sorry for the people in the shops that have to listen to jingle bells every five seconds yeah and it, it seems to push back earlier year after year Maybe we can give people towards the end here some practical advice on storytelling. So there's kind of a philosophy of storytelling, if you want. Like this goes back to Aristotle, who who helped define what storytelling is in the context of plays and in drama. The simplest version of this, and and people are going to roll their eyes when when I say this, but this is really important. (laughs) The simplest version of a story is it has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You need to set up the context you need to drop people into the conflict or the drama of it, and then you need to have some kind of resolution. So when I teach my students about storytelling, it is usually in the context of uh, interviewing for jobs. So I, I have a lecture where I try to prepare them for to market themselves, to kind of right. apply marketing principles to, to getting a job. And I say that when you're in the midst of a job interview, you should do everything you can to present the information about yourself in the form of stories. So if you want to convince somebody that you have leadership skills, you know, you can tell them that you have leadership skills. You can even like drop some statistics about how things improved under your leadership. But if you add just an extra 45 seconds on, on the beginning and the end, you can turn that into a story about how you led people, you know? Yeah. And so start off with the setting, like, well, this was the company I was working for and, and yeah. this was the, right? It was a dark and stormy night, right? <laughs> so you, you give people a setting and you like pull them in and and allow them to kind of, as you said, become immersed in it. And then you explain the conflict or, or what was happening and, and then you provide some resolution. And this is where I really push my students. If you can do some research beforehand and go back and talk to your old work buddies and look through your notes, and if you can tie that story up with a resolution, like explaining all the changes you made, and then that's it, 
versus explaining all the changes you made and then saying, and then sales went up six and a half percent the next quarter because of what we did. Like being able to, to add that resolution and tie things up. I made the mistake early in my career as a teacher. We, we use a lot of case studies in business school. And there are a couple of cases that I taught where I didn't have a resolution, right? It was like, well, and then the company did this and, and then let's move on. And I would get like angry pushback from the students. And what happened then? Did it right. work? And so I learned this lesson that you, you know, you need to have that resolution for it to be a proper story and for it to do everything it should. Yeah. And that's a really good point, actually, because I think a lot of the case studies and stuff like that, that I've, I've seen. And one of the things that's missing from them is basically the end, which is, yeah. okay, that's really interesting, but what's the result? What's the ROI? How much did customer sat go up by? I mean, you know, because I did all of that stuff to get a result and here's the result basically. And, you know, you can understand why sometimes it's left off. Sometimes it's proprietary. Sometimes it's difficult to measure, you know, like maybe this was an, an effort that was going to reap benefits over the next five years. And so still from a storytelling perspective, it is so unsatisfying yes. to not know the ending. Yes. But that for me goes to the Stephen Covey thing. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. One of the habits is start off with the end in mind. Yeah. Which is what you're trying to achieve. So lay out what you're trying to achieve. So I guess that you, you're actually thinking about it. That's what you should be doing in your story, isn't it? Which is Absolutely. what am I trying to achieve? The only other piece of uh, advice I would give people to think about is make the story that you're telling people simple and relatable okay we used to have a guy that worked for us who was a very 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 clever guy but he could never articulate his idea very well yeah and i used to say to him imagine that i was down the bar with someone Imagine I was one of your mates and you were down the bar explaining this to me. How would you explain it to me in layman's terms? Yeah. And I think that is a real skill that people need to develop, which Absolutely. is taking a complicated subject and making it simple uh, for, for people to understand. And it's simple and ideally put over in, a, in that story form. We hope that's been of use to you. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We look forward to, um, in fact, I think the next episode, uh, Ryan, that we've got is our personal reflections on um, the year, isn't it? A personal reflection of what we've learned and a business reflection of what we've learned. Yes, so I better learn something quickly. Year is running out. Good, okay. All right, we look forward to talking to you next week and have a Merry Christmas. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. The Intuitive Customer.